the next episode of Nerd Flicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey, everybody! This is Nick, and this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the latest film from Steven Spielberg, entitled Ready Player One. A lot of anticipation about this film. It's a very popular book that Steven Spielberg is adapting for the screen. I have not read the book. Have you read the book? I have not. All right, so we will not be talking about the book. We're really going to be looking at this uh, in terms of like the cinematic results. So as we're talking about some stuff, we may say some things that, that get addressed in the book. Who knows? Uh, so just know that we're coming from this, uh, from the perspective of people who have not read the book. Also, before we get into our review of Ready Player One, just to thank you for all of you guys that are listening to us at lrmonline.com. Uh, Again, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes uh, or listen right on Stitcher. I could barely get that out. Um, (laughs) If you are listening on iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Uh, That would really be helpful. So, Carrie, what were your expectations going into Ready Player One, and did the movie live up to the expectations that you had? Well, being that I uh, had never read the book... I honestly really didn't have many expectations. The only thing about it that I knew was what we saw in the trailers. And I do have friends that have read the book and absolutely loved the book. So luckily they didn't really share much with me uh, heading into the movie. So I, I didn't really know what the differences were or what they were expecting. All I knew was that there was going to be a lot of Easter eggs, a lot of pop culture references, especially from the 80s. And that's that's all I knew. I mean, so that was really my only expectation. And with that being said, I mean, it met that expectation, but that expectation bar was so low. So uh, there, there really wasn't much that needed to be met as far as that goes. Um, but I will say overall, I enjoyed it. Um from what I've been hearing, it seems that the people who have not read the books have enjoyed it more than those that have read the books because of that built-in expectation that comes from already knowing the source material. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty common, though. I think that's a, a pretty common place for a lot of people to land. Book adaptations always tend to, uh, in most cases, fall a little bit short for for the readers because they expect to have kind of a, a pure adaptation of the books. I mean, we get into stuff like that with, um, you know, with Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. We get into that all the time there. Um, for me, going into the movie, I was a little bit concerned because... Um, what I didn't want to see was nostalgia parading as drama. Uh, I wanted to see if you're going to do something that is so nostalgia based, I wanted it to be kind of, uh, in the background, but not the driving force behind the story. So in that regard, I'm very, very thankful that Spielberg did a really good job of keeping that pretty well balanced. Um, as the, as far as the film is concerned, I'm a little bit of two minds here because, I think as a spectacle, 
it really works. Like, there's some really cool stuff in here. Like, if you were to come to me and say, uh, Nick, listen, in this movie, there is a car race that's happening where the DeLorean from Back to the Future is being chased by a T-Rex and King Kong. Yeah. Like, I'm in. I'm in. And that spectacle stuff really works. And by the way, for those of you guys that are listening, spoilers abound in our trailer, in our uh, uh, full Ready Player One review. We're going to go all out. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, go see it, then come back. But uh, if you were to tell me that scene is in there, I'd love it. And I I really enjoy that moment in the film. However, I have some major problems with this thing, too. uh, Because I do not think that the story itself is all that satisfying. I think there is enough humanity in the narrative to where it's passable. Like, there's enough narrative meat on the bone to make it an enjoyable watch, and it's endlessly rewatchable, but it, like, it's it's a tier below being a really good movie. Yeah, I found it incredibly predictable. There wasn't anything in this that surprised me or made me say, wow, oh my gosh, that was, you know, that was any kind of a twist or a turn, or I didn't see that coming. That was a, you know, something compelling or surprising. It Everything happened the way that I thought that it would happen. So, uh, like you said, narratively, I didn't find it dynamic or anything. Um, it just, it didn't blow me away story-wise. Everything for me that I really enjoyed was a lot of those visuals that you had just said. Yeah. Um, I thought there was some really neat stuff that was done. But then again, at times, it was almost too overwhelming. There was almost too much where I didn't know where to focus because there was so much going on that it, it almost it it almost became nothing. You know, it's like I don't. I, I don't know if you've ever performed in front of people, but like for me, it's it's so much easier to perform in front of thousands of people because it just becomes one mass. You know, you don't see individual people, whereas it's really difficult for me to perform in front of like a panel because you see every eye on you because you, you, you feel every one of those people that's looking at you. So with that said, so many times in this movie, there's so much going on where you almost don't see anything because there's too much that's there, that it just becomes one giant mass. So um, I, I had problems with some of that at times as well. See, like for me, I really enjoy the spectacle pieces. Um, like I always kind of find when people say, well, it's just a, a a kind of a basic popcorn film. I always find that to be kind of an insult to movies when I hear that sometimes. But this one, to me, um, I, I've kind of called it a popcorn film, but yeah. I don't mean that derogatorily at all. Like, the spectacle of this movie really works. And I think there are enough moments of of heart and character development, begrudgingly, that that do make this, like, I, I my overall feelings on it were positive. Uh, but again, there are just some glaring issues with it. So before we get into the stuff that we liked, I want to go into some of the stuff that I didn't like, just to kind of get it out of the way. Sure. Um, like I said, the spectacle works, whereas the story doesn't. Like the the Parsifal and Artemis relationship is unnecessary and does not work at all. Yeah. 
that is a romance that never needed to happen. I get the narrative point of it, like having having that kind of mirror, you know, Halliday's, you know, choice and, you know, how that kind of ties in. But there's no chemistry between those two in the human world at all. And it's an unnecessary thing. And so you have this Artemis slash Samantha character who's kind of badass, but then she gets relegated to kind of like the the cheerleading girlfriend by the end of the movie. And I don't really like that. Yep. I agree with you there. I agree so hard on that because I liked her at the beginning of the movie and I didn't so much by the end. And yeah, they, they pad made her. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that you said that. Yes. So very much so. And I agree. The relationship wasn't needed. It was, it was like too much too soon. It's like you've had like two scenes together and now you're saying you're in love with her. What? So, uh, yeah, I, I liked it when she was more resistant. You know, you don't know me. It doesn't matter. And, you know, let's, we're competing, but now let's work together. And I, and I, I wish they would have kept her at that same level instead of, then turning her into a supporting character. Oh, it was very frustrating. Yeah, I feel like the breadcrumbs are there. Like, for me, the idea of him falling in love with her within the confines of the Oasis is totally believable, and I'm on board with that as an idea. Uh, you know, as, you know, he pursues and she withdraws, and that's kind of the the cat and mouse game that happens between these two. But what I don't buy, and I actually found it to be rather creepy, is that when he meets her in the real world, within like two minutes of talking to her, he's like gently caressing her face in this really awkward and creepy way. Uh, fellas, if you're listening, don't do that, because that's that's weird, and it struck me as weird in the movie, like. If you're going to have these dynamics of people who retreat into the Oasis because it uh, is an escape, then they should be lacking in... They should have a little bit of social awkwardness, and there should be a little bit of uncomfortability in their real-world interactions. Like, their their connection shouldn't have been so right off the bat in the human world. Like, it shouldn't have been so easy. There should have been a little bit of confrontation or conflict or or... Uh, anxiety and there just wasn't any of that yeah i almost wish that she had some kind of something more than just the like the the birthmark coloring around her eye you know Mm -hmm. like i wish there was like have her be i don't know handicapped or have some kind of uh i don't know something that she would be really even more self-conscious of than than a, a birthmark. Where I can understand, yes, yeah, she would be self-conscious of that, but uh, something where it would restrict her in the real world more than yeah. that. Yeah, I think that would have been a much more challenging thing. Yeah. And I have heard people say that there are some of those dynamics uh, in the books in terms of those, you know, people ha- being a little bit awkward in the real world. Um, but again, we're going off of the movie, not the books. And uh, the movie... The movie doesn't fulfill that relationship very well. And it kind of ties into to another criticism I have is like, I just don't understand the broader context of the real world in this movie. Like, I want to know what's going on. I kind of wish there, you know, I feel like there's like a half hour of this movie, uh, that, that is on the cutting room floor somewhere that would kind of help fill in some of these narrative blanks that might raise the level of stakes a little bit. 
because it doesn't feel like there's any real stakes because we don't know the what's going on in the real world. Right. Yeah, and that's something that's always difficult with book adaptations like this, where, of course, in the book, you're going to have so much more detail. But then when you are translating that into a movie, you know, you only have, well, I think this this clock's in at like two hours and 20 minutes or something. Mm-hmm you know, you have such a short amount of time that you're having to just stick to the meat of the story. And there's those little bits that will give you more context or or more um, uh, stakes, you know, for lack of a better word, because that's what you use. And I think it's perfect um, that you just you it's, it's like you can't fit that in there. You can't fit in everything. And and that's where I can understand that people who know and love the books, when you see it brought to life on screen, it just it doesn't have that same feeling. And I think it's rare to have an adaptation that is able to capture, you know, everything. Yeah, there were several times in this movie where it felt like there were scenes that were missing. Yeah. That would have provided, like, maybe just a little bit more background that would help, you know, really drive some of the human aspects of this story home. Like, one of the ones that I found really uh, bizarre and a little bit frustrating is the finale character. Right. The the kind of henchwoman of Sorrento, the, the, you know, the woman who's, you know, trying to hunt down the van. You know, you get this idea that maybe she's playing both sides. There's this kind of suggested narrative for her character that never plays out at all. And her character kind of just fades away at the end. And it's it's just kind of this, like, abandoned character arc. You know, at first, um, before Wade met um, What's-Her-Face in the real world. Samantha. Yes, thank Artemis. you. Artemis. Artemis, thank you. Uh, before he met her in the real, wor- real world, I kind of thought that the finale character was going to end up being Artemis. And I thought that would have been interesting because she said something about the that corporation and how she was trying to you know, bring them down or whatever. And I thought that would be really compelling for her to be somebody that was yeah, on the inside trying to bring it down from the inside as, as a mole or something. And I mm-hmm. thought that that's who that was going to be. But when you heard the character of Finale talk, I'm like, that's not the same voice or else they're trying to change it somehow when she's in the game. But I'm like, no, oh, I don't think it would be, but I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and she's a very compelling actress. Like she yeah. has a, she's very visually very interesting to look at. Um, and she's been in a few things that people might recognize. I know she was in a couple episodes of Black Mirror, and yeah. she was also in Game of Thrones uh, as a member of the Dosh Kaleen when Daenerys is with the Dothraki in like the later seasons here. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it was this, there were little bits of this movie that kind of made me think of Black Mirror a little bit, just because of the technology and, like, the post-apocalyptic, you know, whatever may it it have happened. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it made me think of Black Mirror a little bit. A couple of other things that that I kind of had some issues with, just the idea that the last challenge is playing a video game uh, is really anticlimactic. That, you know what, that really, really was because the other challenges were so interesting and complex. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It that just felt a little bit like, oh, that's really, like, 
That's it. So I thought that was kind of a, a thing that, you know, it didn't take me out of the movie. It kind of was a little bit underwhelming to me. Uh, and then another thing. Well, okay. you know what? I mean, when you really think about it, um, think of like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. You know, and they have all these different trials and challenges that they have to go through. And the first couple are, are you know, pretty challenging and complex. And then the last one, you're just in a room and you have to pick a cup. Yeah, that's And it's fair. incredibly simple. So, you know, I I think I would compare it to something like that. That when when you get to the end, it seems overly simple. But it's actually, mm-hmm. in essence, a little bit more complicated than that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I really have two other kind of criticisms that I just want to address quickly before we get on to stuff that we like about it. I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about things that we didn't like, but um, I wanted to get those kind of out of the way. Uh, T.J. Miller is awful in this movie. He sucks the oxygen out of the film. In every scene that he's in, his character is irrelevant, and he adds nothing to it at all. And was who's not a character? fan of his performance at all. Who what what who is he as what's his character? Irock was the character. He had the uh, the skull for a torso. Oh yeah, I, I love the character design. The character yeah, design amazing. was cool. But yeah, um, I I would agree with that. It was a little flat for me. He just sucks the oxygen out of the film. I did not like that at all. It just felt like it was like I don't know. It felt like an outtake that they just left in the movie. His entire character arc. You know, I I don't know if this I I think I know maybe what he was going for, but it didn't get there was uh in Thor Ragnarok, uh Taika Watiti's character, which is ironic, it's actually a rock. Um yes. how his performance is so flat and dry, but yet it works and the delivery of it's so good. I don't know if exactly if that's what he was going for, but I got the feeling that that may be what he kind of wanted to go for, but the execution of it just didn't work. Mm, I agree. I'm totally with you there. Uh, and then the other thing, and this gets into some of the, the, the pop culture references that are in this film. Uh, I, for the most part, really dig them. I like the musical choices. There's yeah. so many that I like. Uh, the one that I don't like, the one that kind of just sticks in my craw just a little bit is the Iron Giant. Yeah. Iron Giant has no place in this movie, particularly as, like, a, a instrument of war, because that was literally the fucking point of that movie. <laughs> yeah. And then to have him go out like the Terminator. Yeah, yeah. And I was fine <laughs> with that, but, like, there's no reason to have him in there. And I know book people are going to be like, well, that was supposed to be Ultraman, but they couldn't get the rights, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but just throwing the Iron Giant in there is just, a, it's just bad. Like well, that's, I don't know. Yeah, it's because he was a it was a a, a like Warner Brothers property. I know, that's why, but they could have done that. They could have, you know what? They could have saved the King Kong appearance for later and let that be Kong. Yeah, you know, literally anything else. Like, don't put like I don't know. It just it I don't know. It's just an attempt to kind of like repackage that property and turn it into something that is completely opposite of what it was, right? Right. Like, if you could spawn human beings, it would be like, you know, 
spawning Gandhi in this world and giving him like a katana sword and he's going through cutting people's heads off, right? It's weird <laughs> and out of place. Yeah, but at the It might same sound time- like an awesome idea when you're getting high with your friends, but like <laughs> in a movie. Uh, but I mean, but also it wasn't actually the Iron Giant. It was an avatar of. I get it. But you know? I get it, but like I don't get it. Like, that to me still doesn't justify it. Yeah. Like, Chucky? You want to use Chucky? You want to throw him? You want to waste your one F-bomb in a movie on Chucky? I'm fine with that, because that's Chucky's thing. He's stabby. You know? <laughs> the Iron Giant's not stabby. He's not blasting shit out of his eyes. Right. You know? So it's like, yes, it's cool to have those references, but, like, if they're in the context that they originally existed in. I get that it's an avatar and this is a whole world and this is a, a relatively small complaint. It just, I don't know. It felt like such a big reveal that it felt a little bit, um, I don't know, disappointing. That was just a disappointing thing. All right. Did you have any criticisms that you wanted to bring up? Anything that I missed that you uh, didn't enjoy? Yeah, I actually could not watch about a good 25% of this movie. Ah. Um, very early on, the first uh, race that they had, I texted you in the middle of the movie and was like, good God, this movie's going to make me sick. And I was sitting in the back of the theater on the edge and nobody else was around me. So I wasn't annoying anybody with my texting. I made sure that I was, you know, it was in the middle <laughs> of the day. No, I wasn't disturbing anybody's uh, viewing. Um, I'm not that person. But when I'm alone in the theater, then yes, I am. Um. So, yeah, so much that I could not watch. And I know then that there were so many Easter eggs and interactions that I missed because I decided I didn't want to puke in the movie. Um, every <laughs> once in a while, I would look up, like, for example, in the race, when I heard the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, of course, I looked up because I know that roar. And then when I heard King Kong, I looked up and I watched some of that. And then I had to look away. And... You know, I was watching it kind of just out of the periphery. And when I would see that the camera had stopped, I would look and watch and see what was happening. But yeah, I missed a lot of this movie because I I can't even play video games that are are shaky like that because it'll make me really sick. So um, I'm curious to see if other people experience that in this movie as well. It's definitely one you don't want to sit close for. No, not at all. So, I don't know, those were some of my criticisms, and and to me, uh, those are significant things that I think went wrong in this film, but as I said at the beginning, I liked more than I didn't like. So, some of the stuff that I really enjoyed, that, that, that race sequence that you had a hard time watching, I think that's awesome. It was awesome. The the little bit that I could watch and I was so upset <laughs> that I couldn't watch more because it was so cool. But, you know, it's I watched it so earlier in the day. I was like, you know what? I'm going to ruin my entire day if I keep watching this. So it was hard to look away. But and and uh, I know I missed a lot of cool stuff because it was it was really neat, really, really neat. That under-the-road tunnel shot of, you know, when yeah, Parzival yeah. has it figured out and he's going backwards under the under the tunnel there. That is so cool. And visually, it's just, uh, it, it's just stunning to watch. I thought that was really, really great. I did, too. I love that he was able to see 
through, you know, what was happening above um, with all the other obstacles that were happening, you know, and he basically didn't exactly just have a straight line, but it was uh, virtually obstacle free for him to get there. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was just, that was just, just a stunning visual moment. And I think that's one of the the stronger things about this movie. Like we, we keep talking about the spectacle, but like some of those stunning visual moments that, you know, we we mentioned how great sci-fi has to be thoughtful and it has to have some really like oh shit moments. Uh I feel like this one has more of the latter than it does the former. Uh it has a few oh shit moments. My favorite one uh being one of the more inspired sequences in this entire movie is the second key uh in the whole um kind of shining sequence that happens. That in this was movie. so that was so great. I enjoyed that so much, <laughs> especially when it cut to all the all the people that were working for the corporation that were now trying to go through the shining sequence and you're seeing them all screaming and, and dealing with different things um, in the real world instead of what their avatars are doing. I yeah. just thought that was hilarious. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and like, I don't know, you just, you knew as soon as you saw them kind of in that lobby area, you're like, oh my god, you knew you were going to see the twins, you knew you were going to see the blood, the tennis ball, like all those cool references, Uh, you know, the room 237, lady in the bathtub, that stuff was all so well done, and it was such an enjoyable experience, like, if you were able to, like, walk through The Shining as it was happening, that would be a terrifying experience, and they did a really good job of recreating that for this film. Yeah, I thought that was lovely. Although at the end, I thought for certain Artemis was going to have to kiss the girl instead of asking her to dance. Because the whole thing was that the leap he wouldn't take was there. They thought at the moment was that he wouldn't kiss her. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's going to have to kiss her. But they didn't go there. Yeah, that that sequence, I wish it kind of resolved itself a little bit better because it kind of devolves into this kind of weird zombie haunted mansion dancing thing. Yeah, Um, I thought that, too. You, I kind of wish it would have resolved itself in a, in a somewhat more creative way. It's a little video gamey, which I guess is fine. I don't have a huge problem with it, just kind of a, a little uh, thing. But that whole sequence is is really, really impressive. And that's yeah. the thing. You have these, like, these three keys, right? And you have one that's through this awesome race. And you have the second one, which is through this awesome shining sequence. And you have the third one, which is just playing a video game. Kind of underscores what I was mentioning before about how kind of deflating that is. Yeah, but they had to find out the right video game. They had to find out that no, it's not winning the game. What it, you know, what the east, what the meant, what the the purpose or the the thing that makes that one particular game stand out from all the others was the thing with the Easter egg. So there was a little bit more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, because of you know, different epic uh, movies, like, for example, again, I'm just going to use the Indiana Jones and Last Crusade again, where the third task or the final task is something that seems so simple, but it's a little bit more involved than that. Like, yeah. made me kind of okay with it. Sure. You know? Um, two of my favorite little references that are in here, or I guess pieces of this story, because they actually play a role. Uh, the Holy Hand Grenade. That was funny. So thought that was awesome. Love seeing too. the holy hand grenade. Yep. And I love the idea of the Zemeckis cube. Yes! I loved that too. And I love the idea of climbing Mount Everest with Batman. 
That made me laugh. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun. I would sure. play Mount Everest with Batman. <laughs> but I love the idea of the Zemeckis Cube, and it has kind of a functional thing that's happening. Uh, you also have Alan Silvestri doing the music here as well, and not John Williams, which is super weird to see a Spielberg movie not done by John Williams. That is true. Uh, but yeah, I thought those were two of my two of my favorite things about this movie, were, were seeing those two particular pieces. I thought that was really great. Did you have a, a favorite, like, Easter egg little thing that you caught, maybe? Um, I mean, any any reference to the Millennium Falcon is something that I'm always going to love to hear. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed a lot of the Easter egg stuff. I thought it was fun. I thought the music was really good. A little Twisted Sister happening in there in the third act. I thought that yeah. was really smart. Um, I loved the uh, the when Artemis is decked out as that forearm dude from Mortal Kombat, whose name I can never remember. But then she has the chest burster coming out and thought that was kind of fun. And it was a puppet. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, a couple of performances. I, well, you know, before we talk about performances, what did you have a favorite Easter egg from this movie that you enjoyed? Well, I think I had kind of a meta moment as I'm sitting and, and watching the movie or waiting for the movie to start, actually. And it's like, okay, this is a movie about finding an Easter egg that's filled with Easter eggs to find, and it comes out on Easter, like at Easter weekend. Yes. So I, I kind of enjoyed that little bit. Absolutely. Any other references that, you know... I um, mean, of course, I loved the T-Rex in the race. I just, I yeah. heard that, that trumpeting T-Rex roar and that, like, made me look up, um, you know, out of my anti-vomiting, <laughs> looking away moment. I was like, oh, what? I know that sound. Um, so I love that the T-Rex was in there. I loved a um, lot of, lot of familiar video game um characters that you kind of like oh that, that looks kind of familiar um that i enjoyed um i liked chucky that was funny yeah oh really yeah okay my, my dog agrees i i yeah yes <laughs> um one of the really good ones that is i don't know it it takes a super dork to to pick this one up so maybe you picked it up because you are a super dork like i am uh that orb that puts the shield around where they were protecting that last kind of quest that and it has the chant that, yeah what is is that chant from lord of the rings or something no i'm like what is that from i know Excalibur. this caliber is that what it is yeah i couldn't i was like I'm, I'm hearing that and i'm like i've heard this before where have i heard this and i couldn't place it thank you so much because it was driving me crazy yeah, I thought that was a really cool. Uh, <laughs> that was a really cool thing. I thought that was great. Uh, as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Excalibur!" Oh, you're so much better than me. It was like, uh, I was like, "I this is familiar. I know this. Why do I know this?" Oh, the charm God. of making. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was a that was a, a great one. That one's kind of super nerdy. I thought that was really cool. Uh, you do get to see not only Chucky but Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees in there as well. Yeah. Uh, yep. You see the Joker, Harley Quinn, Deathstroke, Batman. Um, you know, basically like all the WB property is in here. Yeah, pretty much. So I thought some of that stuff was really cool. I know there's a Lord of the Rings Easter egg in there somewhere. 
There's but I did Gandalf. not pick up on it. Yeah, Gandalf is in there. He's really hard to find. Um, he was in the trailer, and it's just... It's because he's in a mishmash. It's when they're, I think it's when they're at the dance club and everybody's like, they look up and they see the people that are dancing, but they're like floating and you see Gandalf in there. Um, it, it's nothing necessary that stands out. And I'm sure there are so many Easter eggs uh, within Easter eggs that once the movie comes out on like Blu-ray or something and people are able to look at it shot by shot that's so there's going to be so much more in there than we're even aware of absolutely yeah absolutely um another thing that i wanted to mention uh, i talked about the performance that i didn't like with tj miller um there's a couple performances here that i really do like a lot i really like ben Mendelssohn in this movie as sorrento uh, and i love mark rylance as halliday which one was what? Now uh, ben I- Mendelsohn is um, the, the same guy from Rogue One. He plays Sorrento, the kind of, you know, main nemesis, the main antagonist yeah. in this film. You know, you know what he kind of reminded me of? And it's funny because they mention this in the movie. I thought that character, uh, the way that he was written and also the way that he was portrayed, felt to me just like a classic 80s bad guy in you know when it's like adults versus kids or kids versus adults kind of a thing and they mention the breakfast club and i could not help but thinking oh my gosh he reminds me so much in his performance and in uh, even in the way that he looked like the principal from the breakfast club yeah that so kind much. of authoritarian I- villain yes i almost wish they would have pushed it maybe just a little bit more because and, and meaning that you have the principal in the Breakfast Club where he thinks he's really cool and he thinks he's, you know, going to kind of relate to the kids in that way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of wish he he would have done that maybe just a little bit. But yeah. even without that, while I was watching, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's like the classic 80s adult, you know, quote unquote, villain or antagonist. So I, I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, he plays it in a way where he's not meant to be super threatening, but still somewhat volatile. And I kind yeah. of dig that kind of uh, that kind of villain. He also gets my favorite line in this movie where he says, we can control 80% of somebody's peripheral vision before inducing seizures. And I thought to <laughs> yes. myself, like, that is the, like, I feel like that conversation has probably been had yeah. by the marketing department of companies in this country. I feel like that has happened before. I feel like that's the I feel like that's the <laughs> standard that they push to. Like that felt so real to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you're you're probably right on the nose with that. Yeah. Um the, uh, the another performance I really loved was Mark Rylance as Halliday. I thought he was terrific. He he lended this kind of nice bit of humanity to it. You know, I thought he was really excellent. I it was kind of like, uh, kind of like Walt Disney meets Garth Algar. Yes. Oh wow, that is a you're spot on with your analogies today. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I mean, he has like he's that kind of awkward character, but he you can tell that he does have like this kind of humanity about him that I think is really interesting. I, he plays it so well. He does. He's got a lot of heart and he's got that 
he's he's got that social awkwardness that you had mentioned before that you thought would be really interesting because when you see his wizardly avatar and how it differs so much from his actual real world real world personality and he's he's got that um, yeah, just that awkwardness around people, but yet still has that same heart. I'm with you in that I wish that kind of carried over more to all the other characters as well. Yeah, I mean, the, I think one of the strange things about the movie is that, like, this whole... Everything in the Oasis and the whole journey within all exists through... Halliday's own perceptions of right and wrong and his own, you know, life and, you know, his joys and his misfortunes and things like that. So it's a little bit weird because in a way it's like we're contained inside the mind of this one character. But I also feel like that would be a very real world thing. Like anybody who's ever been to uh, Disney World or Disneyland, like Walt Disney is all over that place. Yeah. And if it was a virtual environment, you know that you there would be something like that in there, right? I mean, so to me, it was a little bit strange from a story perspective, but also felt real in how the real world would react to that. Yeah, I, you're totally right. I mean, there is almost something like that, uh, or there was at one time where it was, oh gosh, what was it called? The Disney Story or Walt Disney Story. And it's like you went through his life. And so it was very similar to that, that um, they had during one of the anniversaries, which there's something that's kind of like that now, but not as, not like it was previously. Hmm. Yeah. And so I thought, I thought Rylance was really good here. I think he did a great job. I thought Simon Pegg was very good in kind of an understated performance. I thought he was great in the, in the little bit of screen time that he had as well. And I really enjoyed his avatar within the game that he was the curator, which totally was, I, I'm pretty sure that was a take on Ask Jeeves from back in the day where it was like before you really had Google, there was the mm -hmm. website called Ask Jeeves. <laughs> and that's what exactly made me thought of. Um, but yeah, I, I, cause I enjoyed that character as well. And I enjoyed the fact that that was simon Pegg at the end that was a nice little twist the the main core of the cast i really just kind of thought they were fine ty sheridan as parsville i thought he was he's fine olivia cook pretty good but again i don't like what they did with their character i did love seeing lena waith show up in this movie uh, as yeah. h and if you couldn't predict that h was going to be a female character like five with five minutes into the movie then you have not seen many movies because that was a you know Totally predictable, but still kind of a fun reveal in the yeah. end. Um, Sho and Dido, I really like those characters. The the, the younger one, uh, there's a great... You don't really pick it up at the time, but when he talks about watching The Shining through his fingers, it's watching it the way an 11-year-old boy would watch The Shining. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yep. So I really like that. I thought those characters were great, if, if not a little bit underdeveloped. Yeah, I agree, because they were... Uh... Just, I mean, I, I think they were incredibly misserved because I yeah. found them really dynamic and, and potentially interesting and they just didn't get enough. Yeah, because like, here's the thing. If you're going to have these characters that are going to be revolutionaries in this real world, 
then show me what brought them there. Like, show yeah. me what brought this group together. I think, I feel like that's what we get in all of these kind of classic heroes journey team up movies, like Fellowship of the Ring. Like, we knew where everybody was coming from and what their own perspectives were on why the task needed to be done. We knew uh, the backgrounds of the characters in Star Wars when they were going to go blow up the Death Star. We knew their backgrounds. These characters, we don't know their backgrounds. We don't even know a whole lot about the main character, except for a huge exposition dump at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's... It, and and because of that, you don't... Uh, you, I don't know. It's just they're, they're... The pairing of the group of them coming together, it doesn't feel as... Um, interesting and dynamic and that there is some kind of a stake or you don't you don't care enough about them because you don't know enough about them they're just kind of there yeah you're yeah. kind of cool you have a couple cool lines but i don't even really know much about you so yeah they're all likable they're all really likable characters but i want to spend more time with them yeah. like in the human world i want to spend more time with them to get to to get to understand kind of who they are and what they're going through and why they are doing what they're doing. Yeah, there was nothing dynamic between them. Like there was, everything was just so agreeable and just kind of flowed and happened that there wasn't any kind of conflict. Let me say that instead of dynamic. There wasn't any kind of conflict or... um I don't know. Everything just kind of flowed a little bit too easily where it just didn't seem all that interesting. Yeah, you know what? I think you might be onto something there with the whole lack of conflict thing. Because, like, without conflict, you don't have a movie. So the more minimalized your conflict is, the more kind of tepid your film's going to be, right? So yeah. I think that's what we're kind of running into here. Like, there's not a lot of conflict between... Artemis and Parsifal that that would uh, that would make their kind of coming together feel epic. There's not a lot of um, conflict within the group that makes it feel like they're you know going through something to then later come out the other side a stronger team. Like even the Avengers had those moments of fighting and bickering. Even Han and Leia yeah. and Luke they had their moments of of bickering. The Fellowship had their moments of internal strife. Like, for all those great kind of classic team-ups, I mean, even in Harry Potter, you had conflict with, with um, you know, Ron and Harry at a certain point, right? Like, you had these things that were going on, these dynamics yeah. that, that, are, that make it a little bit complicated, that are obstacles the characters need to overcome, resolve that conflict, come out on the other side stronger, but unfortunately, we just don't get that. It, like, I, like, I like it, and I'm on board with it. I just want you to push it a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. Everything was just a little bit too easy, a little bit too convenient as far as that group goes. Like, I, 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 I wish there was just something a little bit more interesting to tie them all together instead of, oh, yeah, well, he told his friend, and he told his other friend, and now they're on board, too. I mean, that's really all we got, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah. even Stranger Things, you know, you get the arguments between those characters. You could even do things that are that are that are simple and scaled down. Yeah, you know, that's why I feel like maybe there's another twenty minutes of story that's on the cutting room floor that would really help make this 
uh, a more cohesive film. Like, I think it's a, it's a decent film, but I feel like it could have been an epic and awesome film. And I'm like, wondering. The bones of that are all over the place. You just want to put them all together. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really wondering if, you know, the people that are listening to this that have read the books are like screaming, there is that. It does exist. It's in the book, you know? And I, I'm really interested in, going now and and actually reading the book to kind of dive into this to see if there is that you know yeah. within the book and it was something that they just for whatever reason decided to skim over it and like, uh trim I the fat like a little that, too much i feel like that explosion in the stacks that probably kills a lot of people yeah that should have felt more hurt, like sad and instead, You're it just right. feels like a thing that happens. Yeah, because they killed the guy that was like a jerk. And we don't really know enough about his aunt to really care about her. I mean, that's horrible to say. But or, you know, the neighbor lady that lived on the bottom of the stack. That's all we saw, you know, and we we saw a couple people, you know, as he was climbing down that are, you know, doing their virtual reality pole dances or whatever. But we mm -hmm. don't we don't get to see the relationship that he has with any of those people or it just it makes it even seem that he didn't have any relationship with any of those people. So it didn't really mean anything even to him that it happened. So, yeah, yeah it's if if he doesn't necessarily seem as impacted by it, then why should we? Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, all great storytelling involves conflict. And the more conflict that you're able to interject, the more organic conflict that arises between characters that are well uh, solidified and well established, I think that, that it sets you up for better storytelling. And I think the storytelling in this movie kind of struggles because it just kind of rushes through some of the the human connections that would allow you to be able to connect with these characters a little bit more. Um, you know, it, again, it, like the it's the way I feel about the Samantha character too. Like, I, I I almost wish, on one hand, that they would have uh, that Parzival and Artemis would have swapped positions in the end of the film, mm. where you know. She shoots him and she finishes the task. I get they'd have to rewrite a lot of the story, but like it would almost feel more honorable in a way. Yeah. I feel like there are just different storytelling choices that they could have made that really would have driven home the impact of the story. Because like as it is now, like I love it. Like I love the spectacle of it. And I will see this movie again and I will watch it multiple times and I will enjoy it, but I won't love it the way I could have loved it. Yeah. I, I, I really like the idea of this real world and then virtual world thing. And, you know, there's a couple of movies that have kind of played with that a little bit. And I kept thinking about the movie Avatar as well. Um, but I, I kind of liked that. And it was a really interesting way to combine, you know, live action and animation. I thought some of the stuff in the animation was really good. I thought there was some really interesting character design. I wish some of the main characters were not humanoid characters that there mm -hmm. were, cause they talked about different species and animals. And, um, I wish there was a little bit more of that. I thought would have been kind of cool. I mean, we did see like yeah. a cat. We saw like a cat person for like a brief moment, but, um, I thought that would have been really interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I thought a lot of the character design was really good and, um, 
just, I mean, some of the the locations that they were in the movie, I thought were really interesting. Um, you know, even real world and virtual world, I thought were were kind of cool. Um, yeah. yeah, it did. It. I, I think overall, though, it did leave me wanting a little bit more, and I think. Overall, it has left me wanting to actually read the book, to see what's in there, mm-hmm. to see, you know, knowing that everybody that's read the book is is feeling a little bit disappointed with the movie. And now I'm I'm curious to go because I know there's there are so many references in that book that there's just no way possible with licensing and everything that they can do everything. Because apparently there's a ton of Star Wars stuff in the books from what I've been told. And, you know, they really, I mean, they mentioned the Millennium Falcon and that's pretty much all you got. Um, You know, and it's difficult when you have that, that's a um, Lucasfilm slash Disney property. And here you have Warner brothers where they directly compete with each other and universal. Um, So that's difficult to be able to have that crossover. But, But the fact that they did get so many crossovers, I think is actually really cool. But knowing that that's nowhere near, what's actually in this book um i'm curious to go back and read for all of those as well yeah and i think one of the things about this movie that like ultimately i kind of wish that i would have had a little bit more of like i feel like there are just so many little crumbs of great ideas that i kind of wish i would have drawn out a little bit more like i'm fascinated by this idea of people being so absorbed and like obsessed with the oasis that it becomes like addiction that they spend themselves into debt into poverty into you know you know there are like loan sharks out there and people you know this kind of indentured servitude that exists like those are really cool ideas and they're introduced in this movie i just wish they would have pushed it even more like particularly how you know in 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 modern news what we're seeing right now in terms of everything that's gone on with with Facebook and the way Facebook has kind of been infiltrated by you know people that are mining data so they can you know try to tailor things this and that way like i'd like to see the oasis equivalent of that like yeah. what does that look like how are there people out there like cuz one of the great themes that exists in this movie one of the things this movie does really well is show you how like there really is no oasis. Like everything is corruptible. The corporate interest will always will always try to get in there and capitalize and monetize. They will try to monetize the thing that you love, right? And I feel like that is a great kind of um, thing that we see in this movie. I just want them to push it a little bit more, push yeah. it a little bit harder, you know. And you know, let's let's get some more things out there in terms of. Um, you know, gender identity and some of those other things that, you know, some of that, that, that Gamergate stuff in the post Gamergate world, let's, let's push some of that stuff out there too. And let's start challenging some of our ideas and perceptions. Um, I, I, I really wish that there would have been, uh, just a little bit more, like, I would like to have just seen it challenged a little bit more because there's just so many seeds of great ideas that exist in this movie. Like, it's really admirable to see what, what exists. But I would have loved it if they just would have put the fucking pedal down and and just driven it even more. You think they just played it a little too safe? I don't know if it's if it's something that was consciously played safe, or if it was just this is such an ambitious thing and we're trying to keep so many balls in the air. This yeah. is the best we could come up with. And and who knows that. 
I mean, maybe if they would have tried to push it a little more, I, you know, again, I'm not familiar with the source material, so I don't know if the source material does that, or would it be going against the source material to try and push that? I, I don't know. So maybe they're trying to stay within the confines of the book itself and not go too far outside of it. I have no idea. Yeah, like, like, what does trolling look like in the Oasis? What does harassment look like in the Oasis? What does what does abuse look like in the Oasis? Oasis. What does opportunism look like in the Oasis? Like, these are ideas that I I, I would bet. And having never read the book, I don't know. But I would bet some of that stuff is probably addressed. Mm. Um, and I would just have loved to have seen seen that. And I think that's the difference between the, something that we've talked about it before on this show. Great sci-fi needs to be thoughtful and it needs to have holy shit moments. And, you know, that's the, the kind of thing that, that all great sci-fi films has. And this one has the holy shit moments, but the thoughtfulness just, it's there and I can see it and I like it. But it just is. It, it it's so far short of what it could have been. There, the potential is just astronomical, and it didn't reach the potential that it could have. You know, what I think would be really interesting for the both of us to go and re- give ourselves homework and to actually read the book. Yeah, a little book club. Yeah, and then to come back, like maybe by the time the movie comes out on Blu-ray or something, you know, to to go back and, and read the book, go back and watch it again and to see how our feelings change or see what we think they could have done better with the source material than what they did. I think that would be really interesting to do. Absolutely. We might yeah. have to do that. Yeah, I like, I like it. Like that that's what's so crazy about this movie is like that said and we've laid out like the things that we've liked, we've laid out the things that we don't. I would actually still see this movie again because yeah. I think that like there might be some stuff that that you know doesn't work, but I'm interested in kind of going through and having this experience again just to see if I'm still, you know, in awe of some of the scenes as I was the first time. Because I think that, and that's the thing, like, I've seen people say that they love this movie, and I've seen other people say that they hate this movie, and to be honest with you, I can understand both points of view here. Like, I can understand having an unabashed love for this movie, going in and saying, I loved it, because it has, it contains the things that are um, important to you, Right. And maybe you want more spectacle and you're not as concerned with some of those other issues. You just want something that acknowledges the things that you love. Totally get it. But then I could see somebody more demanding coming in and saying, I don't like this. I don't care about pop culture references. I don't care about that. Uh, I just want, you know, good story with character development. And you come up short and you leave hating it. Like, I fully understand both. And that's been the the thing that I've been thinking about ever since I saw this film. Like, it's... It's something that I am so of two minds of because I love both. I love great storytelling and I love spectacle. And if you can bring those two things together, I'm all in. But this one, it doesn't. So, like, again, it, it's just, a, it's just an, a weird movie because I'm very much split on it. Yeah. It's hard. It's, 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 it's so difficult to find yourself kind of landing in the middle. And I find myself in that position quite often because I can understand it from both sides. And it's like, 
I can't really pick a side because I can see it from both and I can understand and relate to both. And so you just find yourself kind of hovering in the middle and it's it's like, it almost makes you feel like, I don't know, a, a failure of somebody who's supposed to be giving a definitive opinion about the movie. Right. And it's like, I'm, I'm not, I don't have, I can't pick a side. Um, I find myself landing in the middle like that more often than I used to. Which I find incredibly frustrating. Mm. I think it all depends what you want to get out of a story. Yeah. You know, what is it that you want to get out of a story? And I think that depending what your expectations are, it's going to reflect, you know, what your opinion of the film turns out to be. One thing, though, like, like I said, I mean, I would see this movie again, and I would recommend the people in our listening audience see it. See it and, you know, let us know what you think about it, because I'd love to know what some of our listeners think. I'd love to know, you know, what their opinions are and, and you know, um, did some things work for them that didn't work for us? And, you know, I, so I think it's, regardless of what you think of our opinion of the movie, you guys should go out and see it on your own. Form your own opinion. Come up with the things that you, you know, liked and didn't like about the movie and throw it out there because it's the discussion to me that is the most interesting part yeah i mean especially when it is a book adaptation i'm always really curious about what you know people who were fans of the book what they thought of what they what they liked or what they didn't like what um you know were there some changes from the book that they actually were okay with and you know like i go back to you mentioned um Song of Ice and Fire with Game of Thrones. There's a lot that's different in the show than there is in the book. But I know, for example, there are some people who are just staunchly like, no, it's got to be exactly the way that it is the book and nothing else will compare. But then, you know, you have somebody like yourself who's like, no, well, they did it differently in the show, but I'm okay with it. It actually worked. It's, you know, it, 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 where sometimes they'll combine two characters into one or, you know, something will happen to one character, but not another. And it's like, well, no, it actually works in the show. I'm, o- I'm okay with that because it's still compelling and interesting. I'm, you're yeah. not a purist. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious about those kinds of discussions and I'm, and I'm looking forward to actually diving into the book myself and being able to form those opinions on my own in the future. Well, you guys have heard our thoughts on Ready Player One, but we'd like to know yours as well. So hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdflixChill. You can also find our show at lrmonline.com. Now, temporarily, until all of our older episodes do get migrated over, you can find our older catalog at our website, nerdflixandchill.com. The easiest way to get us, though, is on iTunes or Stitcher. Just look us up. And you'll find us. Wanted to thank all of you guys for joining us today. We appreciate you being here, and we uh, hope you have enjoyed the show. Until next time, everybody, may the force be with you because the night is dark and full of terrors. <laughs>